The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Rockheads, hope you're not lactose intolerant. Uh, don't worry, you'll get it. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan announcing show number 381 with guest Michelle LaRue Bustamante, recorded live Monday, September 29th, 2008. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net. Training developers to work smarter. And now offering SharePoint 2007 video training with Sahil Malik on DVD, DNR TV style. Order your copy now at www.franklins.net. Support is also provided by Telerik, combining the best in Windows forms and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com. And by Code Magazine, the leading independent magazine for .NET developers. Online at www.code-magazine.com. And now, the man who says, to hell with email, send me some bourbon, Carl Franklin. Hey, 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 this is Carl Franklin. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. Richard Campbell is here in the house. Howdy, sir. Well, in the virtual house anyway. How the are you, buddy? virtual house. How are you? I'm good. I'm, you know, busy, 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 but in a good way. Yeah, same here. Doing lots of music and I'm taking a screenwriting class. Did you know this? I did not know. Yeah. I'm t- I'm, I have a story that uh, I've been working on for a while. And rather than just trying to write it out as a book, because I've done books and, you know, I don't know. I wanted to do something different because I and I'm thinking visually, more visually. So right. I, I took a taking a screenwriting class from a local guy here who's involved in some films and has been involved in theater for a long time, and uh, it's working out. I'm I'm really enjoying myself. Well, it's fun to learn something new too. Yeah, this guy is kind of a taskmaster though. He's like, he, my second assignment was four pages, and I went nine and a half. And I'm like, uh, is it okay if it's nine and a half? It's like four. It's got to be four. No more, no less. Right. No dialogue. <laughs> it's like, geez. Dang it. <laughs> All right, well, let's get right into Better Know Framework. All right, sir, what do you got? What I got is uh, being that this is a show with Michelle Rubustamante. Uh, I'm going to talk about i'm going to tell you what namespace WCF is all about. Oh. It is system.servicemodel. Interesting. System.servicemodel. That's where WCF lives, ladies and gentlemen. And that's it. That's all I'm going to say today. (laughs) (laughs) There's so much to say about WCF. It's a huge topic. Buy the book. 
But we'll uh, we'll dissect some of the classes in there over the next few weeks. So you got an email for us? I do indeed. It's actually an old one I've been meaning to get to uh, from a gentleman by the name of Peter Zolja. And it says, thank you. He's talking about Udi Dehan's Scales Web Applications show. I enjoyed this show quite a bit. We need more performance-related shows. One area that I would love to hear more about is how to optimize memory usage in ASP.NET applications and even how that works. That's ASP.NET, not ASP in general. ASP.NET comes with a lot of helpers that get in the way of seeing a clear picture. Yes, we have the garbage collector and it takes care of cleaning, but what kind of stuff could we do to help it? We have a number of sites hosted on a dedicated machine, all made by us, and I've noticed that some use more memory than others. There's a lot of black magic going on behind the scenes, and I would love to know more about. I've used several profilers. None found anything leaking. However, some sites would grow to use 50 megabytes of RAM and stay there, and some would climb to use 150 megabytes and stabilize. So what part of this making it use three times more? In the pre.NET world, things were a lot easier from this point of view. I would be able to trace each byte to a particular location in code. Hmm. Now it seems there's so much more overhead in the framework itself that we're living on a moving cloud. Yeah, but that moving cloud feels so good. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I, and I do think the profiling is still the way, because profiling will at least tell you what other things are being instantiated. It would give, give you a picture of memory. But, you know, DNR is not where we should be looking at a profiler. DNR TV Absolutely. That, I think, would be the place, would be to actually go through profiling to figure out memory consumption in something like ASP.NET. Very cool topic. And in a very crude way, you could always, uh, well, well, it's not really a profile, but you could always pull out Perfmon and watch and see what happens, you know, hook up a few uh, counters that are related, uh, you know, to memory and to ASP.NET and to processes and things like that, and just see if you find any correlation between spikes in one and spikes in memory. Sure. So, that brings us to the .NET Rocks uh, TechEd 2008 Barcelona Contest. Yes, sir. Sweepstakes, whatever the heck we're calling this thing. We have a winner of this week's brain bag. And what was the question? Uh, the question is, what is Ted Neward's new nickname? <laughs> I do that one. I was calling him constantly. Some other guy. That other other guy. <laughs> that other guy. Some, that other guy. Some other guy. Yeah, you know, so I was. I saw. I guess what it was was he was giving a talk with Amanda Locker, and he overheard somebody saying, "Yeah, I saw this session with Amanda Locker and some other guy." It was actually on the eval that way. Oh, that's somebody right. Somebody wrote down Amanda was great and some other guy. Yeah, Amanda and some other guy. <laughs> I love it. That was pretty good. So uh, this week's winner is Kenneth Dason. Kenneth. And he's from uh, Marion, Ohio, by the way. Congratulations, Kenneth. Yay! Woohoo! Yep. You get your choice of colors, of course. The Tom Bin brain bag. The best bag in the world. Absolutely the best. We got to have Tom on the show. I think that's a fine idea. We should do a Thursday show with Tom Bin. I don't know. It just came to me. Yeah. How much conversation can we have about laptop bags? Send us an email, .netrocks at franklins.net. Tell us you want to talk about laptop bags. If we get enough, we'll, we'll have Tom on. We'll, we'll ask. All right. We'll ask. And, uh, of course, what we're talking about is giving away a free ticket to TechEd 2008 in Barcelona or TechEd 2009. You can go next year if you like. If you can't make it this year, if you're cutting it too close and you win, you can go next year. But pay for your airfare, pay your hotel get you in the door. All other expenses are up to you, man. 
Absolutely. Still, but hey, we're going to pay the big ones. Pay we're the big going to bring ones. somebody from somewhere in the world. You don't have to be from Europe. Anywhere in the world, we could take you to Tech Ed Europe. That's right. It's going to be a hoot. And uh, you never had better food in your life. It'll be a lot of fun. Well, maybe you have, but it's pretty darn good over there. Let me tell <laughs> it you. It is good. Pretty darn oh, you good. You've just got a soft spot for good ham. Yes. Yes. That, uh, that Hamon Iberico. Oh, man. It's just out of sight. Unbelievable. I'm looking forward to that again. Uh, what else? Uh, the jobs in Dubai are still available. We've actually had a few. We've placed a few people in Dubai with Infusion, believe it or not. And cool. uh, we got to talk to those guys, too. Yeah. See what it's like over there. I really, I'm dying to talk to someone who's working over there. And uh, also the New York tour, if you want to live in New York and live in an apartment rent-free for a year and work in the financial district on SharePoint and Silverlight and all sorts of great .NET technology, send me an email, carl at franklins.net. I'll hook you up with the folks you need to talk to. Uh, our guest today is none other than the illustrious Michelle LaRue Bustamante, Chief Architect of iDesign Incorporated, Microsoft Regional Director for San Diego, and a Microsoft MVP for Connected Systems. At iDesign, Michelle provides training, mentoring, and high-end architecture consulting services, focusing on scalable and secure architecture design for .NET, web services, interoperability, federated security scenarios, card space, and globalization architecture. Michelle participates in software design reviews for products in the Microsoft Roadmap, including WCF, Cardspace, and other security-focused products. During the Beta 1 phase, Michelle participated in prototyping elements of the Cardspace technology for the product team. She is a member of the International .NET Speakers Association, INETA, a frequent conference presenter, conference chair for SD West, and is frequently published in several major technology journals. Michelle is also on the board of directors for the IASA, the International Association of Software Architects, and a program advisor and instructor for USCD Extension, that's University of California, San Diego. Her latest book is Learning WCF from O'Reilly, 2007. You can read her blog at thatindigogirl.com or uh, her blog at dasblonde.net. Welcome back, Michelle. It's been too long. Hi, Carl and Richard. Nice to hear from you again. There's a Bambino in your picture. No? There's a Bambino in my picture. <sighs> yep, it's picture the top link on Das Blonde. Ah, uh, yes, it is, because that would be the last blog entry I had time for. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about him. Yeah, I was already, uh, uh, you know, only blogging when I had something, you know, content-wise to post, and now it's become, hmm, I'll blog, I don't know, when he's five. <laughs> no, I'm, just, yeah. I'm sure I'll find the time at some point. Well, he's beautiful. Still Juan Pablo, yes, he is a very good-looking boy, if I do say so myself. Mm. How'd like that happen? I, you know, I could go through all the details, <laughs> but I think uh, you probably know a little bit about that. Since so I used to it. say that when when we would announce one of our children. We have two children. When I announced that, you know, uh, somebody would say, oh, she's beautiful. I say, yeah, we don't understand it either. <laughs> how'd, that, how'd that happen? How'd, how'd that, that happen? How did that happen? <laughs> I think that he looks like his dad. That's probably why he's good looking. He's oh, good looking. come on go. now. He's my boy. Yeah. I got myself a little mama's boy. Awesome. <laughs> so not not sleeping a lot. 
No, not sleeping a lot. Yeah. Although it's getting better slowly. He's four months old as of last Friday, so wow. he had his four month birthday. And yeah, time's out. flying by. I, you know, so we were all fun. at Tech Ed without you, which was and weird. I had, my first, I had my first trip away from him last week. Went to Microsoft for a, an Oslo uh, software design review, so I was gone all week. And Daddy survived. Oh Isn't wow! Wow. Yeah. So yeah. is it Juan Pablo at dasblonde.net? <laughs> got a couple of domain names booked out already yeah we might have to come up with a new domain name for the family because i don't know that my husband really wants an email at dos blonde yeah probably not <laughs> <laughs> it works for me you know yeah, it yeah. might work for the boys no I don't think so. i'm just saying yeah i know you're just saying you're just saying so, so yeah, fun times. so you got your book out before you got the baby out Congratulations on that. I thankfully, yes. And actually the book's been out for a while, but you know, they of course, right after the baby was born, after Juan Paulo was born, uh the publisher emails me. Okay, this is like literally two weeks. Okay, I just got home pretty much from the hospital, right? And they email saying, Could you review the errata? Because we're gonna publish a reprint and we need it like in two days. So I mm. pretty much replied with a big LOL. Yeah, you, you guys are funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I said, so a little notice would be nice. Did you know I just had a baby? Like, <laughs> <laughs> placenta so uh, warm. Come on. How, how about you cut me a little slack here? What's our drop dead date, right? So then they're basically scurrying to figure out, okay, so how many books do we have left in print? And at what point do we have to have this done so that they can get more books on the shelves? And as usual, looking for, you know, the last drop-dead date for Michelle so that I can meet that at least, right? And I did meet it, uh, surprisingly. I mean, I, I kind of had to start kicking some butt uh, at home despite having a new baby. But um, I went through the book and did a reprint and updated, you know, the Visual Studio 2008 thingies so that it would be accurate. Was and, this your um, WCF book? Yeah, yeah, because when I wrote it, I wrote it on 2005, Right. And we were using Orcus, which was the plug-in, right? Yeah, yeah. And, of course, what's happened is Microsoft has discontinued support for the plug-in. So now people can't even download that anymore. So if they have 2005, they can't even, you know, get WCF, uh, you know, integrated Visual Studio support. They can still do WCF, but they can't do it integrated unless right. they already had a copy of that. So people email me all the time, of course, right? And trying saying, to get what it. What do I do? What do I do? And, and I tell them, uh, I tell you what, why don't you get 2008? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I put a blog update saying how to do that. But it was nice to get it into the book before the reprint. So that just means that the sales went well enough that they were ready to do a reprint, which is great for me. Yeah, congratulations. Um, mm-hmm. you no, know, that's cool. Yeah, I mean, it's it's been a really nice ride. Um, I don't know if you know, like I pretty much pushed the publisher to let me take as long as I wanted to make sure that the book was, you know, quality. And they didn't really like waiting, but I didn't want to publish unless I was ready. And uh, I think that's paid off because a lot of people give me a lot of compliments on the book. So that's great. Yeah, no, they say definitive work. You don't know WCF if you haven't read this book. Yes. Oh, I haven't read that, but that's a nice compliment too. <laughs> yeah. No, so it's it's been it's been good to be able to update that because now the book is at least you know on par with 2008, and I'm going to work on a uh, a rewrite actually, so that I'm going to add some bunch of new stuff. Um, of course, part of that related to the forthcoming .NET four uh, and so forth. So that's going to be fun. Speaking of new stuff, you just attended the Oslo Software Design Review, right? Yeah, the the kind of SDR that you're not allowed to talk about 
um, ah. until after PDC. But um, yeah, it was pretty fun. I have to admit, there's I was pretty skeptical about this whole direction of model-driven programming or model-driven development. Um, but without sharing details that I'm not allowed to say, I think PDC is going to be very interesting. You bet. Um, yeah, and two weeks from that, now, two weeks from when this show is published, we have yeah. a show with the Microsoft guys from the Oslo. So more will be leaking out. Yeah. One or the other. Yeah, that's going to be pretty interesting. I mean, I, I think that I could sum it up to say, again, without telling any details, um, that I wasn't sold on the direction until I got a chance to play with it this week. And my honest opinion is that basically what I saw obviously it still needs work, right? Because what you're going to see at PDC is not the finished product. Um, but, you know, if you sort of take your mind away from the details, right, like user interface, logistics, and things like that, and just think about the direction that this is going and the meaning of, of what they've done, you're going to be impressed. And you can see that it's going to work. It's, it's going to take some time before it's ready, but it's going to work. It's going to be interesting. So I'm, I'm kind of sold on that now. I wasn't before. And, and now I am. And so really it comes down to if they do this right and make it as easy as it needs to be, you know, sort of a, in terms of the user experience, it's going to be a killer way to sort of migrate into a new development paradigm. Hmm. Well, and that, you know, I think that's... And is that, could I be a little bit more vague? I guess you're wondering, well, but no. I guess I can't. But, you know, <laughs> you, you bring up a point, which is this is really Microsoft trying to find out, you know, figure out what's next. How are we going to do things differently? Well, and how do you make it easier without necessarily taking away the ability to have control? Right. Well, that's always the trade-off, isn't it? And that's always the trade-off. So there always needs to be... People will always write code. Okay, let's face it. You're never going to drag and drop your way to a properly built application unless it's a very small app. Um, but I think that you can certainly find a compromise in there somewhere where you drag and drop your way to a beginning. And I'm sort of using a paradigm of drag and drop, even though that might not be the Oslo feeling. Um, but you're, you know, you're, you're going to save some time and then you can override, let's say what you need to, right? That's the, that's the goal, I think. Yeah. Yeah. What about, uh, cloud computing? You excited oh, about that? Actually, before we leave the Oslo STR, I got to tell you a story because this is just too funny. Okay. So here I am, a woman in, you know, technology, as you know, and I'm usually surrounded by mostly men in every meeting and or conference and et cetera, Right. And now I have a baby, as you know, and this is obviously brand new to me, being uh, that I waited so long to do it, right? Yeah. <laughs> and here we are, I'm at an SDR, and, you know, I've been nursing, right? So let's just put it right on the table, Ben, you know, yes, I breastfeed my baby, okay? He puts my boob in his mouth, okay? That's a good thing. <laughs> and that's how he eats, and so that's the deal. Now, here I am at this SDR, and, of course, I need to pump, right? Because yeah. I got to make sure I don't explode. And uh, <laughs> never mind that. It's actually. <laughs> is there much risk of that, Michelle? Actually, you're going to burst? You know, I think there is. I seem to feel that way. So, um, wasn't that in a Monty Python movie? Yeah, maybe not. I yeah, no, that was the Thin Mint. You're thinking of the of Thin course. Mint. The guy who right. the wafer Thin Mint and right. blows up. Yes, yeah. that's what that I'm thinking funny. of. Yeah, so it's kind of like that, only it's not. And uh, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Just what a visual now. Exploding now well, for, first off, I mean, what did you do for Juan Pablo? You're going to be away for a week. Did you so stock you, up? Like, you don't understand. Like, when I go out to dinner, okay, I have a three-hour window. Like, i got to be back. 
right. my boobs throw while we eat. Like we're out to dinner and you can see the cleavage rising. And then I got to get home. <laughs> it's great, actually. But... <laughs> yeah, anyway, so I'm at this SDR and I've, you know, I'm staying with Kimberly Tripp and Paul Randall, right? And uh, luckily, because I wanted to sort of save the milk, right? Because I read from these flight attendants that people can actually shift their breast milk after they freeze it, right? Nice. So I basically hmm. filled their fridge with, like, these bags of milk. <laughs> Holy cow. <laughs> how, how much does he eat? Seriously. Well, he, I mean, four ounces every three hours, right? Just make sure you grab the half and half when you go for your coffee. <laughs> That's a whole other problem. <laughs> yeah, you got to be careful which one. But you know what? Uh, breast milk has all kinds of great uh, properties for, uh, you know, fighting bacteria and stuff well, like sure. that. So, yeah. Yeah. But anyway... So, um, yeah, they use it to kill cancer cells. Are we talking every three hours you're on the pump? Yeah, so check this out. So so I'm at this SDR, and, you know, people are probably wondering, like, why I have to leave for 20 minutes at a time. But, like, seriously, these people don't take breaks. And, and I'm all for that in the past, but now I, like, have to have my three-hour break, right? Right. So it would always be at the wrong time, you know, like some executives in there trying to give a talk, and I'm, I'm looking at the clock going, okay, maybe they'll break in half an hour. I think I can go half an hour more. So I'm sitting there. And, like, while I'm listening to the guy, I'm thinking, God, my boobs are freaking killing me. <laughs> and seriously, like, if they could only be in my head, right? Right. So, so I'm trying to keep my composure. You know, I'm sitting there. I've got my big, huge purse that just looks like I'm going out with my purse that's full of stuff. But it's, like, all this breast-pumping equipment and, like, a little cooler with ice so I can put the milk in there after. Awesome. And, like, it's just funny, right? So, so then... Finally, I mean, I couldn't take it anymore, and a few times this happened where, like, there's just a room full of people, right? And it's, like, really good discussions. It's totally the wrong time to leave. And I'm going to explode, so i got to leave. So I'm, like, tiptoeing in front of all these people with my freaking gigantic bag. <laughs> and, <laughs> and they're probably thinking, like, could you not wait 15 more minutes, you bitch? You're like, could you pay attention? This is an executive giving a talk here, and i I got to go. It's important. So I leave. And I'm in the bathroom, and I'm sure people are coming in and out of the bathroom hearing this, wah, 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 you know. <laughs> and <laughs> there's nothing I can do. Yeah, so I'm sitting there, and then I'm, you know, like it's just a it's a total routine, right? I mean, I'm doing this every twenty, every three hours for twenty minutes, and I and I'd come back to Kimberly's, and I'd have like four bags of milk, and I'm putting it in their freezer, and literally the freezer was stocked with like forty five bags of milk before I left, and then I had to bring it back in a box under the plane, and it worked. So anyway, so this is like the ultimate of like being a woman in technology with a very strange, you know situation to deal with yeah <laughs> needing to go off and pump every three hours that's spectacular yeah. that's not normally built into the schedule of most events not normally no but actually no. you know what it's going to be funny when i teach a class in norway in three weeks i got to teach a wcf class and i'm probably going to have to go full disclosure with the group in uh in the class because you know they're probably going to think oh you know oh thanks for staying during lab time to answer my questions you bitch nice. right yeah. Like, I mean, I'm going to have to probably tell him, hey, listen, I don't mean to give you a TMI, but uh, I'm going to have to go <laughs> every three hours. Yeah. Brings new meaning to the words drag and drop. Uh, oh, and, no. oh and, 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 yeah, that's funny. Thank you. Um, I could tell by the her voracious laughter that you were enthralled, you know. Killing me. You know, nothing beats, though. Please stop laughing. Funny. It wasn't that funny. Please, no, please stop. 
No, you know what was really funny is one day um, I answered the phone while it was pumping, and nice. I, I I didn't know who it was. I thought it was you know probably like somebody I knew, not a customer, right? And it ends up being a customer, and here's in the background. Wah, 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 wah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like what's that sound? Actually, you want to hear it? Here's what it sounds like. Can you hear it? No. No. Nope. You can't hear it? No, nope, can't hear it at all. Oh, okay. Well, then maybe you didn't hear it. No. Cool. <laughs> That's excellent. <laughs> it's stealth pumper. Oh, maybe you didn't have it properly positioned. Yeah, enough about pumping, but nice. that's just, it's pretty funny. That's that. Yeah, not, a, not a problem I think a lot of people to deal with. But the, I, I figured it was good to share because you never know if somebody in this industry is listening to this talk right now thinking, you see, you can pump and be in technology. Sure. <laughs> you, can. you can pump and code. I mean, seriously, I, I pump and I type code. It works. You just like hang, you just like wrap it around and just sit there and type. And tuck it in behind and you're all good. I personally am very relieved. Thank you. I feel better. <laughs> well, I think now your, your Norway class is going to be required listening. They, they've got to understand. They've got to understand the problem. Yes. Hmm. Yeah. I'll have to set them up with a problem statement. And let okay, them now can we talk about cloud computing? <laughs> Let's do it. So are, is this something that you're ex- as excited about, being WCF woman and all? Yeah, definitely. I mean, so so let's position it. I think um, with uh, biztalk.net, which is how they've initially branded this group of technologies in the cloud, um, it's basically looking at infrastructure, right, that you wouldn't have to create. So a small company can potentially really leverage this right away. I mean, what they're looking for is a way to expose, say, web services um, because they have a relay service. So if you don't have a static IP or you're behind a firewall, like think about me just even at home wanting to host on my machine a service, but it's not outside of my, you know, my firewall for my, uh, and I don't have a static IP with my uh, cable provider. So I could do that using relay because they've got that service set up in the cloud. Right. Um, so that's a pretty powerful feature, obviously, especially for small businesses, too. But more importantly, um, there are other infrastructure services that they're you know, putting together, like PubSub or um, Identity Services, which is the security token service in the sky, which is kind of the fun thing that would be great to talk about, because that's something that people should not really have to write their own um, or manage it, right? Yeah. And then we've got um, you know, workflow services, which may be a little bit less popular just now, but as more, you know, features come with that particular uh, side of things, it might be more interesting. So, essentially, what we're talking about with identity services, which is the STS portion, is think about federated security today, right? How many people understand it? Very few. Apparently, only you. Yeah. No, not only me, but I definitely think I'm one of the few people that talk about it. You know, uh, Keith Brown's another guy that does a lot of, you know, uh, good work in that area, and there's there's not a lot of people though, right? It's 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 pretty much brain surgery. So yeah, it's hard. How do you make how do you make it easy, right? I mean, because everybody talks to me about it. People email me all the time. I want to use claim based security. You know, how do I head in that direction? What do I do? And I've built utilities to help people do that, but they still don't really get what's going on, and they shouldn't really have to. It should be something you go and configure, right? I should be able to say. Um, you know, I want to receive a Windows credential or a Windows Live ID or a username and password or a certificate, and 
I don't want to actually have to authenticate all those at my service boundary. What I want to do, or my application with ASP.NET, either or, what I want to do is have somebody else do the authentication and having trusted that credential, whatever it is, map it into a set of claims so that all I have to worry about when I build my services or my applications is that I receive the claims I need, whether they be roles or permissions for specific things like create, read, update, delete, or whatever. Right. Um, or whether it be information, like I need your email address and your age and your social security, or uh, probably not that over the wire, but you know what I mean. So so I think that um, the powerful, you know, I guess, statement around having an STS in the sky is that it's configurable, right? You can go up there and go to the admin console, create yourself an account, and that's your STS. You've now just created an STS just by creating an account. And up there, you get to decide what certificates do I trust, what usernames and passwords do I trust, et cetera, et cetera, and what claims do I map them to when they authenticate. So you're essentially creating a whole infrastructure in the cloud for authentication and authorization that then will map into a certificate that you can trust because you trust the private key signature. And so your applications now just worry about that. Did I get a a token with that signature? And if so, okay, then I trust the stuff inside, which says either the roles or whatever. And so that's pretty cool to not have to manage that, because imagine if you had to do it yourself, not only would you have to create the STS, because we don't have ADFS v2 today, um, you would have to also configure it and host it and manage it and so forth. So if I can just put that in the cloud, I don't have to manage any of that. I just have to configure it. And if I need to scale it out, then the cloud can scale it for me because there's going to be service level agreements associated with that eventually. And so I just can, you know, probably have a paid service essentially paid by you. And then that's the strength of the cloud model is that we can offload these things. I think when you think about running your own app and then uh, using a provider for authentication and, and this whole claims-based security model, that makes you uncomfortable. Like my username and password is not inside my company. But if it's cloud, well, everything's outside your company anyway, so it's not a big deal. Right, exactly. And it becomes less of a big deal when you think about the trust relationship between the STS and your application, right? You're setting up a trust relationship by trusting that signature, and it is a private key, you know, that that you can specifically trust, and no no other tokens can essentially be issued, and I guess fake being that private key, right? It's right. impossible because you can't get access to it. So Now, are we talking about um, card space or are we talking about something else? Well, we're actually talking about the back end of card space because what card space is, by comparison, is really a way for the end user to have certificates on their machine without having to know anything about certificates, Right. So if I'm using personal cards in CardSpace, then what I'm doing is creating a private key on my machine, really. And I'm authenticating with that to an application. But that implies that prior, there's been a relationship set up where the application knows about the private key. So there has to be sort of a setup, if you will. Like um, if you go to Windows Live ID and associate a a CardSpace personal card, then what they're going to do is first ask you to log in so that you're trusted and then say, would you like to associate a personal card? And then you select it, and it sends the public key signature over um, so that the application, Windows Live, can trust that key and associate that. So now only you can log in 
from your machine with that card instead of typing your username and password to your live account. Yeah. And nobody else can ever get that private key unless they get access to your machine, right? So the idea of card space, which we've been talking about for years now, is that it avoids some of the phishing attacks that you know are so easy to prey on everyday users. Like I get that PayPal email that says, um, you know, somebody has made a complaint about your eBay account or your PayPal account. Please log in and check authenticity or something like that. And of course, you click the link because you're scared, and you don't see that it says, you know, PayPal dot I want your password your password dot com. It's it's not actually PayPal dot com. See what I mean? Are people actually using CardSpace? No. <laughs> now, why is that? Now, why is that is the better question. And I think that it's just, it's really been, well, number one, it's a visionary thing that I think even though there are many communities outside of Microsoft looking at it, like um, on the Mac, you've got, uh, I, uh, what is it called? Um, Identity Me or something like that. Digital Me, that's it. Um, and that's the equivalent of CardSpace for the Mac. So remember, CardSpace is a Windows thing. Right, right. But the underlying technology is information cards, which is interoperable. Standard, yeah. Yeah. So, so the problem is that, I mean, if I could say it, nobody's doing it well except for Windows. So it's not really taking off as an interoperable thing just yet. Don't you think it's like a market decision, though, that, I mean, people are completely satisfied with their SSL and, you know... Their auto form filled to with their saving yeah. browser saving their passwords and all that. It's just easier to do that, and most people don't have security breaches, so they think it's worth the risk to not have to use any more brain power to figure out a safer alternative. Yeah, I think that there are larger companies and certainly banking institutions and potentially credit card companies and things like that, um, and corporations that are looking to make sure that, you know, their employees can go home and authenticate um, without using, say, the classic VPN uh, safely, right? So what they do is issue managed cards from the company. Um, and that's a powerful story because it can't be faked. So, so there are people like that looking at it. I've done some work with customers privately that are, are just not publicly known. So I think what's happening is, a lot of it's behind the scenes, sort of like when web services first came out. Most people did it just behind the firewall at first because they were scared to do it outside, right? And I think with CardSpace what's happened is there are people that get it, but it's more of a corporate implementation so far. Okay. Um, and I don't think it's necessarily widely adopted yet, but mind you, the technology is only a few years new. And it's a complete paradigm shift. So I think it will happen because it is a really great technology. Honestly. But isn't it mostly been deployed at the client level? I mean, all these Vista machines have got card space. Yeah, what, but it's only Vista. The server bits aren't, aren't that baked. Right. So issuing managed cards is yeah. now something supplied by Zermat, actually, which is the framework um, that has just been released in you know early... Uh, I guess, beta one format, right, um, for building security token services and for uh, issuing managed cards and for, more importantly, implementing applications that are claims-based. So the latter of those is the real goal. Of yeah, that, that's an interesting concept. So my app knows what claims it requires? Yeah. Your app basically 
will require a set of claims to authorize access. Again, those requirements can be anything you want them to be because you decide what the security token service needs to issue for you to trust. Hmm. So the idea is, and we're sort of taking a diversion here on Zermat, I guess, and that is, you know, the, the idea is that, you know, there's a migration towards federation. Not everybody needs federated security, so I'll explain that in a bit. But what people do want is a way to say, look, I don't want to deal with multiple different credential types at my application because yeah. then I've got to create different login screens for web or I've got to deal with my services and the different ways to authenticate the different credentials. And then how do I normalize that, right? So the best way to normalize it is just build a claims-based app. So just send me a token that tells me the claims, and I'm going to trust the claims from this issuer and so that issuer is responsible now for authenticating in all the different ways we support, be it card space or be it Windows or username, password, or certificate, right? So the idea is that I'm just getting a token, and it's already finished the job of, you know, just determining who is the original caller and that we trust them and that they have these rights in my system. And so the idea is that I own the STS in that case. So I'm not federating. It's just me and my own little security domain saying, hey, my app is just going to worry about a token and my security token service over here, be it in the cloud or be it Zermat custom built or be it ADFS v2 in, in the future, either of those options will work and they're just going to be responsible for issuing the token. You're listening to .NET Rocks from .NET Rocks.com. This is Carl. I have a message from our sponsor, Telerik who wants you to know about the best way to learn using new dev tools and technologies. Well, is it reading manuals, watching videos, playing with sample code? How about all of the above? So Telerik recently launched their new interactive trainer tool to help you effectively learn all the Telerik products in your own pace. The Telerik trainer is a slick WPF app that combines a video player with synchronized highlights, a table of contents for topical navigation, and a context-sensitive code launcher. While playing the narrated videos, you'll see a code button light up at a relevant section. Click the button, and you'll open the respective file from the provided project directly into Visual Studio. No more searching for code while watching a training video. This is indeed innovation in training. They're always releasing new tutorials for all the Telerik products, so don't waste any more time and download this amazing new training tool now at Telerik.com, T-E-L-E-R-I-K. And as you know, when it comes to developer tools, it's not just about great products, but also about reliable support and effective training materials, and that's exactly what our friends at Telerik have done. Check it out. Now let's get back to the show. What I'm interested in here is, are we really talking about not a token per app? That when I think about claims-based applications, uh -huh. Uh -huh. you could already have the token. I don't have to have a specific token for that application. I don't. I don't know if I follow what you mean by that. I'm just thinking in terms of how. What is it going to? If I have a bunch of claims-based applications, I mean, I, and I and I get the idea that I'm just trying to get away from having a separate username and password for every app I run. I mean, is that what I'm trying to escape here? Okay, so that's federation. That's the next level. Okay. The first level is just, I want to delegate authentication to a service right. so that I don't have to manage you know, different authentication mechanisms in my app. And number two, so that I don't have to deal with all the different ways to normalize the rights from the different credentials. So instead, just give me claims. Okay, that's it. 
That's not federation. That's just me simplifying how I build my my relying party, as we call it, which is the application or services. Right. So I want my operating system to deal with actually logging you in and telling me it's fulfilled the claims. Yeah, let that happen over there somewhere. And it right. may not be the operating, it may be the operating system if it's Windows or it's the security token service that handles either Windows or any of those other uh, credential types. But the next level, of course, of this is to do federation, right? So federation implies that I have multiple apps or maybe even you have an app and Carl has an app and I have an app. You guys want to access resources in my app and I'm going to grant you as partners the right to read only, let's say, stuff in my app. So what's going to happen is each of you has your own security token service, and I have a security token service. I'm going to have a trust relationship with your two security token services so that I trust tokens from you. Your job is to authenticate your users, because I don't want a copy of all your username passwords in my domain. Right. People should authenticate to their domain, respectively, and then when they browse let's say it's a web app, to my page, your token's going to come over. But because we have a trust relationship, I'm going to look at that token and say, okay, um, I, I know about this token, so let's take a look at the claims inside and you know, let's migrate that to my claims. What kind of rights am I giving you, right? So I'm going to give you read-only. And now you're going to be able to, without logging in again, and without logging into me ever, you know, I can just trust, okay, you're allowed to read. Good, go for it. Um, so that's federation, right? The idea that people log into their own domain and yet can navigate to another app, and actually it also achieves single sign-on, so you don't have to sign in again. It's a long way to the single sign-on solution. So what does this making my app claims aware look like? In terms of building a claims aware app? Yeah. Well, if it's WCF, um, you know, Right now, as you may know, WCF 3.0 and beyond has always been claims aware in the sense that every token gets converted into a set of claims. But the most powerful story with claims-based security is the use of what's called the SAML token, which carries claims. So that thing is signed with a private key by the STS. That's a typical scenario. So WCF already knows how to do that, um, and it already unpacks the claims into the security context. However, what Zermatt does is provides um, a more first-class implementation where we actually have your typical role-based security model with a, a principle that's attached to the thread, Right. only it's now a claims principle, and it has access to the claims, so it's already been sort of uh, unpacked into there. And now you can just say, you know, you can do your classic is in role, only it's going to execute a a call that more or less checks has required claim, where the role is really a role claim of sorts. And that doesn't mean it is a real role. It could be a create instruction or a read and update and delete or something else. But what you're essentially saying is, do you have this claim? Right. And, and therefore, can you get in? So it's, it's basically bringing that to a first-class permission-based security model like we already had, um, and it's actually what I already wrote a couple of years back. I wrote a couple articles for the server side that explained how to do claims-based security with a custom principle and so on. So now what's happened is Zermatt will replace that, right? So they've got, you know, a, a different model. They didn't do it exactly how I did it, but obviously this is the framework we're going to go forward with. So basically they're providing you what I did, you know, in a different way. 
Now, with ASP.NET, how it works is it's actually got a browser-based redirect. So if you come to the browser app and haven't got a token yet, it will redirect you to the STS to get the token, which means you're authenticating to the STS, and then you come back with a token. That sounds very passport-ish. Yeah, Mm. it is, only it's not passport, because passport was never really adopted. Well, I mean... Passport was used by a few organizations, but Microsoft. the idea that I can run my own <laughs> STS. Yeah, you can control it, and you don't have to spend $10,000 for a license. <laughs> yeah, I don't That's have good. to call Microsoft to use this. Yeah, exactly. And that's, I think, the biggest thing is that, you it's know... It's not owned by... Exactly. It's not owned by Microsoft. Although, I'm, I'm sure that down the road, we're going to have Windows Live ID support where we could just trust Live IDs in our apps, and it won't be... You know, it'll be different than, obviously, the past with the passport model. Which I'm okay with, but then I'd also like to, you know, be able to do that with VeriSign. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you can do it with anybody, essentially, because this is all interoperable stuff. So anybody but now it seems like we feel, feel like we're headed over towards OpenID again. Well, and that's kind of, I mean, OpenID is a URL-based, you know, uh, single sign-on capability, right? Right. So, and it is... You know, equivalent, if you will. I'm not an open ID expert, but it's equivalent to a uh, federation model. Only it's done using URLs, even with the web services approach. Um, so you can think of it as maybe uh, a REST-based model for federated security and services. Well, in there's days where I feel like open ID is a competitive technology, and where I and days where I feel like it's all part of the same thing that they'll all get along. It, there's no reason why they can't all get along. Zermat is really just giving us a, a set of functionality so that now my ASP.NET apps can do claims instead right. of roll, and it still fits with all the ASP.NET controls like we already have, and it still fits with the principal permission model that we already have in .NET. So Zermat's just basically making it so we extend that existing model that now underlying will have claims. Right. And it's important that we have the same authentication solution, yeah. whether it's a web app or a, or a, a client-based app. Yeah, and you know what? The, the, the interesting story here, I mean, Zermat, one thing that it does do is it sort of takes away one of the things we might be used to doing in WCF, which is custom authorization policies. Those right. get blown away. And that's by design because what's happened is custom authorization policies populate what's called the security you know, security context, um, service security context in WCF. And that has no meaning in ASP.NET. So, you know, we need something that's consistent across all the apps. What's consistent across all the apps except for a claim, a principle, right? We Every right. thread gets a principle. It's simple. So if you got the principle populated, then you can do is enroll and you're good to go. And is enroll might not sound correct if we're doing claims. But underlying that code is going to basically go check for the claims you asked for. That's so. effectively what it is. I mean, yeah. you, when, a claim, when you have a claim, in, a, in essence, you've assumed a role. It, that's true. That's true. That's a, you know, that's a way to stretch it to feel good. <laughs> but, I, I mean, I'm my, I got my IT hat on totally here. I'm thinking yeah. about managing Active Directory. I, I, you know, my roles are out there, and I'm trying to figure out how the app is work, cooperating with my roles. And, then, and in, that, in that sense, roles and claims are fairly synonymous. Right. No, it's true. It's I'm true. okay and with the, that. The, and the only reason that we say claims instead of roles is because we don't want to pigeon ourselves. Uh, one of the other benefits of just doing claims-based security, which I didn't mention earlier, is 
I want to get away from being fixed on a role because a role is a way to group functionality you have access to. Right. I, I would see roles as a group of claims. Yeah. So exactly. So what, what we want is maybe to use roles as a way to uh, group claims like you say, but what if the role name changes? What if I have, you know, a custom implementation of the app that, you know, this department treats admin differently than that department? Right. So now I need two different admins and, you know, we've got a problem because we need to maybe have a different name for that then. And if we rename roles, then we have to update our relying party or our, our application, right? So if we just go by claims, then what happens is you can still use roles as a summary of here are the claims you get, but if you want to map them differently or rename them, it's no impact to the app because the app just cares about the ultimate claims you got because of the role you were dumped in. When I think about a claim, they, so the other thing, maybe this is what I'm backing back towards again, was this idea that if I have an app that do, that requests a group of claims, essentially, to, to provide permission, I'm wondering if I'm going to get in a circumstance where somebody ends up with permission to that app that I didn't expect because they have those claims for other reasons. And so if I really back it towards a point where one of the claims of every app is, and you're allowed to run my app. Like a very a very app specific claim versus maybe I don't understand a claim well enough to really but the get. The thing is, is, what about the issuer? If you don't trust the issuer, right. then you don't trust the claim. So if you guys both had an STS and each of you had a claim that says, you know, you can Has access, access to payroll. Yeah, then essentially they won't mean the same to me because right because the issuers are different. Signature. So if I don't trust one of you, then you don't get in. I get it. And and the theory being, and do you see that as an appropriate claim? I have privileges to payroll. Is that the kind of claim we're talking about here? Yeah, it could be absolutely. So, and it, to, so to me, it seems compelling to me once we get into the federated scenario that the moment I have that I own, I have permission to that claim. It doesn't matter what payroll app I'm touching for my company. I'm allowed in. Ah, but you see, you can associate that on a per app basis. If you're designing the model, right. So I, as the app owner and the resource owner, the payroll owner, if you will, I get to decide what claim and from which issuers are allowed to touch this resource. So I can get as so, granular or as vague as I want to get. Yeah. And so if you have three different apps and they mean different things, guess what? Your claim could be access payroll is the type of claim and the resource is app A or app B. Right. So if you're looking for a claim, a claim is not just an individual statement, Right. It's, there's a type, and then there's a resource or a value. So sure. usually it could say, you know, email is the claim type, and the value is my email address, right? Yeah. So if payroll, access payroll is the claim type, then, you know, application ABC could be the value. And so you decide which value, you know, you're looking for for this app. Okay, I get that. Yeah. And, the, and the nice thing here is we've, we've definitely given everyone enough rope to hang themselves with. They yeah, can, they can be, if you've got an organization where every app has its own set of rules and you want to be very tight about it, there's no question you can set up the claims that way. If you want to make it more general, you can set up the claims that way. Well, and the thing is, is if role-based security is, quote-unquote, good enough for you, then you can continue with that right. and just issue those in the claims, and then you don't have to worry about all this other stuff. However... Think about this as a better version of per permission-based security. Why did people do permission-based models in the past? Because roles change. So you have to decide, is my application susceptible to roles with different meanings and perhaps different titles and new roles popping up left and right? Mm 
And if that is your app, then you should go more granular than the role. If that is not your app, then use the claims as role. Okay. And then if you need to add more granularity later, then just tell your STS to issue more granular claims and then update your app accordingly, but you don't have to change your entire model for everything you do. You're just going to say, okay, instead of demanding admin, I'm going to demand you have create rights here. Yeah. So I can push the granularity down. And, and I guess therein lies, this is a classic Microsoft problem of either I have permission to nothing or everything. So right. trying and to get some grain into those permission models has always been a challenge. Well, and the thing is, is this all requires that you design something up front. So what's the number one pe- thing people don't have time for? Security. <laughs> and that is designing their app, right? So yeah. they end up saying, okay, you know what? Rolls is good enough. Fine. We're done. Close it up. Um, but if you are looking for the flexibility where I don't have to touch my app in future and roles can be dynamic, then you, you have to think up front. And this has nothing to do with claims model being problematic for that. It's just, you know, your app is the problem, right? Like, yeah. if you need that granularity, then you better put the time in. Nothing's going to take that pain away, um, except that claims-based security makes it possible to facilitate it more easily, I think, because it's built in and because you have issuers instead of just a list of permissions, it's actually a bit more granular than that because it can be, like you said, payroll for app A versus payroll for app B. They right. have different meanings. If I just did permissions, then it would just be payroll. What if I dig, uh, do I have to authenticate up front or can I? Can new claims be requested as you progress through the app? You know, you end up in a certain area where uh, this is going to need additional claims. Oh, yes. So that's, it's interesting you asked that. You must be... Uh, you must be playing in this area, Richard. I'm thinking about the You're problem, Gary. That's all. Just thinking about uh, this is trouble that yeah. I have to deal with. Yeah. So, well, I, I don't know that it's trouble. It's part of what's kind of built into federated and claims-based models in a way because what can happen is you receive a token. So let's say um, the first job of the security token service in terms of authenticating to my app is just to tell me, your identity in my system. Right. I'm not going to ask for the claims yet. I just want to know who you are in my system because I don't know how you authenticated, which credential you provided. Right. I just want to know who you are and that you were authenticated. So now, at that resource, say an operation in WCF, you could have a demand that essentially triggers a call to the STS again, or maybe it's to my resource STS. So there could be the identity STS and then the resource STS. And what that can do is take the identity STS token, basically issue a request to the resource STS, passing that token for authentication, and ask for the claim you're looking for. So I'm at the create function. Let's ask for the create claim. So it's going to look at the token that identifies you, decide if you get the create claim, and if you do, send me a token back with the create claim and everybody's ready to party. And I guess that only makes sense. Is, uh, then you start making external invocations. Who knows what additional claims they might need? Right. So if you can forward a token that identifies the caller uniquely, right. then the job of the call is to say, oh, well, we need to go get a different token. Let's go request that and come back. So, you know, I'm not going to say that that part doesn't require a little extra thought right now, but I believe there will be things that will make that easier in the future. Well, I like this idea of very much security in depth that I can go and make additional claim requests and further invocations throughout the app whenever needed. Yeah. 
and I may well build up a token that any request that comes up later, I've already got the token for. But if I don't, I can go get it. Or you might rephrase that to say you've already got the claim for, because what right. you're really doing is collecting claims. Yes. And maybe from different issuers. So you've already got the claims from the identity issuer, and then you're going to add the claims from the resource issuer, and then there could be another resource you need to ask, and you get that from a different issuer. And what you're collecting is a pile of claim sets that kind of rove around. Yeah, and depending on where I go my app, it might check in any or all of them or request something new. And and I guess the good thing about that, too, is that you could receive um, a claim set that carries all of your rights in the system, but what if you have 100 rights and you don't want to carry all those around with you? Yeah, you, you don't want to go get them off the bat if you're not going to use them. Yeah, so then instead, you just ask for the ones you need at the resource you're actually calling. Right. Yeah, so that's a bit of an advanced model today, just yeah. because there isn't any utility that makes that super easy. It can be done, though. Um, it's just you got to know a little bit about how to work with a security Yeah, we're getting past system. claims-aware applications into claims-aware classes. Yeah, and, and you're getting into basically tiers of security token service calls, which is just, you know, ideally what we want is for that to be built in at some point, and it just kind of happens, right? Right. Because we shouldn't have to figure out, okay, how do I pass the token I just got to get the new token? It can all be done, like I said, but it requires some understanding. And that's why people call me. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, can you take that from about a half an hour ago? I was, I just, I'm sorry. Oh, ouch. Oh, uh, I just don't understand Did what you guys are talking Carl? about. Did we lose you, Carl? Did we lose you? You lost me. Talk about something else, right? Well, it's just not something that I'm, that I deal with on a day-to-day -day <laughs> basis. I understand why just about anything in the cloud is better than, you know, tying it down to a single machine. That's easy enough to understand. Okay, so we left the cloud like 20 minutes uh, ago. Yeah, half an hour. Yeah, that. that's where I lost it. Well, I'm just <laughs> getting this idea of how will we write the code. This and it, this gets back to what what Michelle said right off the bat, which is you can't just tack the security in. This is about as I go into each area of my app, I could be mark basically saying I require you require these kinds of permissions to be here, and I have this infrastructure around me that checks that for me. Right. So very much a declarative security model that I just say, here's what I need. Reminds me of code access security, which, as we all know, was widely successful. Ha. Huh. Well, I think code access security has two layers, though, right, Carl? I mean, if you do the, you know, just permission demands, you're right. Not everybody used it, but I've seen a lot of that being used in terms of, you know, even just ASP.NET, right? What do you yeah. think the login view does? I mean, all those little right. controls that This filter. requires permission to X. Yeah, right. so, so it's doing role-based of that. So just think of that as the same as for claims-based because Zermat's going to plug in the claims yeah. part for you. And then the role-based stuff will continue to work um, as long as you provide it with the correct quote-unquote role or claim to ask for. So is Zermat available for download now? Yeah. Yeah, actually, it's uh, beta 1 right now, and I believe there will be some updates for PDC, so that'll be something people can look forward to. So we just we go to Microsoft, we search on Zermat, we're going to hit... If you type Zermat in uh, Google, then you'll find it right away. Uh, I, if I type Zermat into Google, I get a town in Switzerland. <laughs> well, there is, that. there is that. Z-E-R-M-A-T-T, is that how it's spelled? Yeah. Yeah, and, I mean, and there's Kim Cameron's blog where he talks about 
Zermatt, the town in Switzerland. That's very twisted. Well, of course, they have to have a code name. It's a code name, so it, it yeah. will change. There will be a real name at some point. I'm sure it'll be, because it's a cool code name, it'll be a terrible product name. I subscribe to the Brad Abrams model of naming. <laughs> yeah, the problem is everybody gets attached to the code names, right? And then all of a sudden, they're gone, and everybody cries for about a month. and then. It's yeah, gone. well, that's it. and Brad's thought was that's why they called Silverlight WPFE, because that was a terrible code name, so they get a good product name. Ah, I see. That's his. That's his vision, and and it holds true. Yeah, but Indigo was a good code name for WCF. That was a great. Then it came a name. terrible product name. Oh, I see. Yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah. Well, you know what? WCF took a bit of adjustment. Do you remember when that was first released? How everybody who was used to saying Indigo said, "What the heck is this yeah. WCF thing? Give me <laughs> well, a break." Was... I mean, now it kind of just rolls off the tongue, right? But before, holy crap, it was like Wukafa. <laughs> yes, it was. Yeah. And Wupafa. And Wupafa. We were and just waiting the... for Wutafa. Yeah, exactly. We don't have a product like that. I Windows don't think that's coming. Transaction framework. Ooh, there you go. Windows Transaction Foundation. Foundation. Okay, we right. shouldn't say that out loud. Next thing you know, there's like a blog saying there's a new product coming. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Be careful. L O L L O L. That Michelle, that Michelle, what is she doing spinning all these rumors? How about yeah. a lossless object library? L O L. <laughs> there you go. All right. I think I'm zermatted out. I know why I want to go download it now. And I uh, could use a cup of coffee. I don't know about you. I definitely something I want to try in ASP.net and see how it behaves, especially that sort of granular can I stage this and, and bump up the security as we go. That that to me is interesting. See, what was better, talking about uh life as a new mom or talking about Zermat? I, I actually know. enjoyed the pump story. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, that's definitely a comical event in the world today. Such jocularity with such seriousness in the same show. That's awesome. Where else, folks? It can only be done here. (laughs) It can only be done here with you two. So what's next for you? You've done your Oslo SDR. I know you got to go to Norway. Yeah, I got to go to Norway. Um, Yeah, so I'm now traveling again, you know, uh, once a month or so. Pump in hand. Pump in hand, yeah. Got, I'm, I'll probably be at PDC. I will be at PDC. Um, maybe not the whole week, but part of it, because it's right here in LA, so I can flip home a bit too. Um, and uh, that's good. And uh, PDC is going to be fun. I think people should be excited about that. There's a lot of very interesting. You know, I think the last PDC, I just didn't feel like there was as much new stuff. You know how PDC is really supposed to be about the future. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I know people are really overloaded right now because we've had so many technologies. I mean, you think about the Avalanche in the last four years, just .NET 3, and then there's an SP1, and before that we had all the new stuff on the ASP.NET side with Ajax and Silverlight, and ah, you know. Remember service cool. packs fixed things? Didn't just rip up our whole world? Yeah. Yeah, service packs now add value as well, don't they? And I guess yeah. that has a, a, a loaded meaning, doesn't it? Add value. We're adding value. Um, we changed a few things. We're adding value. <laughs> yeah. Watch out. They're adding um, value again. I'm going to value all over your little pointed head. Value <laughs> add. So, yeah. So, But I think that's what makes this PDC seem kind of fun because there's an awful lot of really future things that won't be released really soon. I think the last PDC, there was a lot of stuff that was like almost released. It was already CCP. 
You know what I mean? It didn't feel as future as it's supposed to be. Well, Windows 7 really... is going to be highlighted at the PDC. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think between Windows 7 and .NET and, and the, the... Cloud stuff, the, the ADFSB2 stuff, the um, uh, the future of uh, card space, there should be some stuff on that, which has really been on the down low. So there's nothing, you know, we can... Well, I mean, .NET 4.0 in general has been very quiet, so... .NET 4, Oslo is, is obviously, uh, now there's a new breakdown between .NET 4 and Oslo, so that's all going to be... You know, discussed, and there's lots of there's just a lot of stuff that is really, really early look, which is kind of the way it's supposed to be at PDC. And I right. think there's a lot of bits you're going to get at PDC that you can't get elsewhere. So that makes it kind of an interesting uh, twist for trying to make sure you go. So it becomes a conference that like you kind of want to go so you can get the bits now. You know? Yeah. Anyway, I'm not selling PDC tickets, so just so you know, I'm just saying. <laughs> Well, I think people generally get PDC only comes along every so often because there's only so many chances to look this far into the future. Yeah. So I, I, it's very exciting to me. I think we're going to have a blast. Well, now but they isn't actually it funny, have some though? Every time Microsoft shows you a look at something like way far in the future, the first thing people do is slam it and go like, oh, well, that's not ready and this doesn't look right yet. And it's right. like, hello, people want it now. really look. What was the, what, what's the first thing about early look you didn't get there? Yeah. <laughs> And, and, you know, think about it. When you're a developer, what's the worst thing someone can ask you to do? Show you the code before you're done. Absolutely. Right? It's like showing an article in point form. Sorry, not going to happen. Right? right? So they really put themselves out there. And, of course, then they take the heat for it. But They always get kicked for it. They always get kicked. Yeah. I'm glad I'm not doing that. Nobody sees my code till I'm done. <laughs> thank god for that thank god for that <laughs> anyway yeah so um so actually this month i'm also doing another thing the there's the first um isa connections and architect connections it's an architecture focused conference which you know shirley brothers that puts on uh dev connections which is of course. you know we're always out together and yeah um this is uh they've been doing an architect track for a number of years now, and it's been really well received, or at least a year and a half anyway. Um, and so they, we pulled it out, and we added ISA, which is the International Association of Software Architects, because that's a bit more um, theoretical, you know, not just Microsoft, you know, a nice mix of technologies and just purist view of architecture. So there's going to be like four tracks, I guess, uh, well, two tracks and four, you know, kind of parallel sessions across the two. Um, and that's going on October six, seven, eight. So that's in San Francisco. It's going to be cool. Yeah. And I was a track chair, so I have to tell you about that because I, I was, you know, responsible for building half the track. Me and you've all uh, right. paired up. So yeah, so it's pretty. It's I'm just surprised that the Architect Connections is this not part of the Connections Conference. Well, they still have the track at Connections, but you know, the, the truth is. Architecture away from .NET carries additional meaning, right? If we if we want to look at sort of the pragmatic view toward architecture and really um, have, like the International Association of Software Architects has all of these content related to training architects and it's all, you know, professional architects in the industry that work for really large companies that work under right. the architecture-only group, basically, and that's their 100% job, right? Not just yeah. developers that want to be architects, but, like, real architects. 
So I think that what this offers is the ability to mingle with a mix of that instead of just developers that want to do architecture and design, which we all know, you know, usually in a company, your senior developer becomes sort of this kind of architect, right? Um, but that's not the same, right? It's not the same training as really having someone show you the patterns and the, um, I guess, the, the different uh, philosophies, if you will, towards designing and, and I don't know, Sure, but this is this show is next week. What show? The the architects oh, connection yeah. in, yeah, in next San Francisco is next, next week. San yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And you'll be there. And I'll be there. With but on. she'll be disappearing every three hours. <laughs> I you know luckily sessions are only one hour long, so I think right. I'll be able to swing that. But if you're bashing by the women's room and you hear wah 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 wah, that's what's going on. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You know what? It's even funnier on the plane when you got to disappear in the bathroom for like 15 <laughs> minutes. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. Anyway. Yeah, and I can't imagine you wanting to fly over the Pacific much right now. Yeah, 12-hour flight's probably not that much get fun. Yeah, but it's going to happen in two weeks, so there's there's no way around it. Oh, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> Just to let you know, I'm going to be a while. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll be back in a bit. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, anyway, I won't go any further. That's enough. <laughs> yeah, it was a fun show, but all we did is talk about pumping milk. Yeah, what's up with that? Got any what's new jokes, Michelle? Oh, I, haven't I said enough? <laughs> <laughs> I think she just built it into the show. I should have prepared a joke, and I completely spaced out on the idea. I don't think I have any new jokes, Carl, not off the top of my well, head. Oh, it's okay. I think my story was enough. The milk story was good enough. Here's my joke. That's the punchline. If anybody didn't hear the rest of the show, they have to re- hear, listen to the rest to understand what. <laughs> All right. All right. I think we're done. I think we're done. Fun to talk to you. It's good to talk to you. Good to listen. And um, I'm sure lots of people out there really understood what you guys were talking about. And uh, I'm sure it's not me. You know what? That's okay. You have other added value. Yeah. What is that again? I'm still trying to figure it out. Nice. All right, guys. We'll see you later. Thanks See you a later. Lot. Thanks for having me. See you at the PDC. See you at the PDC. And we'll see you next time on Batman Rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band by the FCC.